Uh, usually, this is like a bad transition move, but I don't really care. I'm actually going to pray again. <laughs> uh, Blake was supposed to pray, don't worry. It's not like a miscure. Oh, look at this stand. That's fun. Um, I just, we, we just got to pray. So if you guys actually bow your heads with me one more time. Um, God, we're, we're uh, treading into territory that I am terrified of. God, I believe that by the end of the night, we are going to be confronted with your holiness and your power and your majesty, God, the all-consuming fire. God, I believe that your spirit here wants to wake up sleepy Christians and raise dead people to life. And God, none of us, God, I know for myself, God, none of us are holy on our own. We do not deserve to be in the presence of the Almighty, but God, we pray that you would meet us here tonight and see what happens. We trust you. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Glad you guys found us with Mikey's terrible directions. He looks like Sid Phillips from Toy Story. That's so funny. I love that comparison. It's so spot on too when you buzz your head, Mikey. Uh, okay, there's a picture I want to introduce you guys to a friend of mine. Uh, it's going to come up here in a sec. Uh, I want to introduce you to my friend named Evan. Uh, he goes by Evan. He goes by Ira. Uh, he's the one not in the gingerbread costume. Uh, also, I wonder if he's going to watch this online and find out that I talked about him. But this is one of my best friends from college, Evan. Uh, Evan Handballs, Evan Hansen, whatever you want to call him. Funniest guy I've ever met professionally. And what I mean by that is he has um, aspirations to be a comedian, I think, and he's actually good at stuff like that. Uh, he is absolutely hilarious. I found out about him because he made all these funny music videos in high school. Uh, everybody wanted to be his friend. He was really popular and cool. And he actually didn't go to Iowa. He went to school in Chicago. Um, and he would randomly show up sometimes and we would dress up and stuff and hang out and have some fun. That was Halloween. Uh, he was a soccer player, if you couldn't tell, as I was the gingerbread man. Um, but here's what I did with Evan, guys. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. We, you know, were mutual friends with some other people. That's how we met, whatever. Um, I talked about him all the time. You would think like he like hung the moon or something. I literally talked about Evan to all my friends all the time. I said, you've got to meet Evan. He is so funny, right? Era is the man. Like this guy is so crazy. He is just like the funniest dude in the world. You've got to meet him. And I talked him up so much that when he actually showed up, nobody liked him. Just kidding. That's not true at all. Everybody loved him. The funniest thing was that I talked to him. I'm like, oh my gosh, his music videos. Watch his videos. He's so great. Like, don't you love him? And like, yeah, he seems really cool. And then I brought him into my house one time. We had a house party, like a stage on it called Bropocalypse. And he actually like got his like little makeshift band to like play a show. And everybody, the, the reviews were just raving is this guy is way cooler and way funnier than you even said. We just had to meet him for ourselves. And I was thinking about Evan the other day, naturally, because uh, I miss him. Uh, and I was like, you know what? We should write a sermon series about Evan. That's not actually what I thought, but he did remind me of something, okay? Um, for the last three weeks, we have done like a Who We Are series, right? Like we've introduced you to Salt Company, and you know, we talked about uh, the Bible and the message of the Bible. We talked about the community that, it, that we were kind of like tethered to, and then we talked about like the mission that we have, right? That was the last three weeks, um, but tonight we're starting something new. And if you can't read that, it says I am, okay? Big I on the left, big am. <laughs> It's so cool. It's like a magic eye. I love it. Okay, so we're starting this time. And he here's what we actually want to see happen. We introduce ourselves to you, okay, as Salt Company. 
and we talked a lot about Jesus. For the next six weeks, we actually want to let Jesus do the talking. We want Jesus to actually show up and introduce himself to you, and you actually are going to hear what he says in the book of John about himself. Right? He has these seven I am statements, like, I am like bread of life, light of the world, all those things. Jesus says these things, and each one is actually uniquely, incredibly profound. And just like my friend Evan, it's like, oh, you've got to meet this guy. It's incredible. Yeah, you could believe me and take my word for it. But what our hope is, and what our prayer is, like what we actually believe will happen is when you meet Jesus for yourself, you are going to absolutely love him way more than if somebody was just talking about him from a distance. We believe that if Jesus actually showed up and actually showed you all of his, not just raw power and godness and his majesty and his wonder, but he actually showed you his gentleness and his kindness and how he meets you where you're at. If you understood the cross, like if your eyes were open and your ears were like just unstopped to like hear his good news, we guarantee that you would absolutely love this guy. And so our hope is whether you have met Jesus before or you have never met him, that every single week you would leave here saying, yeah, I just had an encounter with that guy. Like Jesus is alive and I just met with him. Like my life can't stay the same because of what Jesus actually, actually just said about himself. That's the goal of the series, that Jesus would introduce himself to you. There's this quote, okay? Um, this guy, A.W. Tozer, okay? He says this. We're going to put it on the screen for you. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Always the most revealing thing about the church, us, is her idea of God. Okay, when we talk about God, when we talk about Jesus right here, I think a lot of us have different like connotations. Like we come in with different life experiences. We come in with different backgrounds and like upbringings, different churches that we've come from. We're all just kind of here. I think a lot of times if I'm like saying, hey, do you want to meet Jesus tonight? You're like, dude, no. Like it, honestly, and that, that's okay to say like what, what you're thinking is like almost like a slave driver type of rule bent killjoy who's going to make you do the things you don't want to do just for the sake of becoming a better person. And some of you are coming in and you're like, no, I actually do. Like, no, I don't want to just meet with him. I need to meet with him. Because you've actually found out that Jesus is a relational guy. That he actually doesn't just want to hold you to a high standard of living to make you better than people out in the world. He actually wants to meet you at so that he can have a relationship with you right now. And so as we kind of like come in here from all these different walks of life and all that, we need to get our minds right with what Tozer is saying. They're like, if it's really, really important what we think about this God, if it's actually arguably the most important thing that defines us, we need to have a right view of him. We need to actually come around the cross and look at it and take a real good hard look at it and figure out what in the world is going on in this book. We need to understand, do we actually believe these stories or not? Because the way that we walk out of here thinking about God and thinking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is in fact the most important thing about us. How we act, what we do, how we treat others, even how we sing, like, right? Like how we struggle with like suffering and hardship and thinking about death someday, how we enter into eternity is all predicated among how you think about God in a certain sense. All of those things are greatly affected by our view of God. And tonight we're actually going to start our series in an incredibly awkward place, incredibly painful. Jesus is going to have this conversation, like this dialogue with these religious people. 
These people who are very, very good, very noble in society, very good at following rules, um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. Jesus is going to prod and poke a little bit, right? If, you, if you've been around, like, you know Jesus loves to do that. He's really good at it. Um, as his custom, he's about to challenge the crowds in like the most personal way possible. Jesus wants to get to the heart of what, what's most important in them, namely their view of him. Jesus, we're going to see, actually agrees with what Tozer said, that what our view of God is is actually just maybe the most important thing about us, but he's actually going to press even harder um, than you might like tonight. He's not just going to say that and let it sit pretty. He's actually going to press it in really hard. Um, and we're actually going to be in John 8. So I actually have a couple volunteers. Um, well, not volunteers. I, I asked them to do it. But Cole and Cole, you guys come up here real quick. I need some help reading tonight. You guys would be amazed when you talk for like 30 minutes straight and nobody talks back. It is exhausting. And I just need help. You guys, there's a mic over there for you, Cole. Um, and so with this kind of big, chunky piece of scripture, um, with this dialogue, I'm going to need one of you to be Jesus. Do you want to be Jesus? All right, cool. You can read the red stuff for me. Um, and you get to be the Jews, the religious people. All right, so uh, you guys, they're really nervous, by the way. I don't know if you saw them, their hands shaking when they took that, but, you know, public reading is freaky. So actually, this is what they're going to do. If you guys open up to John 8, what verse are we starting in? What does it say on the top? 31. We're going to be starting in verse 31 in reading till the end of John 8. So do, is there a typo? Oh, I'm good. Okay, sweet. So Take it away whenever you guys are ready. We'll, we'll all listen to you. You got it on? Yeah, there you go. We might check you. You're all right. Take it away. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have said in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? I'm telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, 
Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Wow, great job. Give it up for those guys. Unbelievable. You can take it all. Yep, go for it. Um, actually, no, bring that back, Cole. I want that piece of paper. Um, okay, this is what's going on. That was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of text, but it's really, really good text. And this is, this is what's going on. Jesus is going around, performing miracles. He's preaching, and people are starting to follow him, right? Like, people hear this, like, that's really, really good, powerful stuff. Like, I think I believe that. Like, I want to be a part of that. And so we see in the very first verse, in verse 31, who Jesus is talking to. It's those who believed. Okay, it starts out, Jesus is talking to those who believed, who have kind of seen his miracles or like been kind of swept up into the, the hoopla of all that is Jesus' uh, ministry. But by the end of it, those same people picked up rocks to kill him. What in the world happens in between there? Okay, that, that's what we need to figure out tonight. How do people who say with their mouths that they believe in Jesus just one chapter later lean down to pick up a rock filled with rage and jealousy and malice, wanting to be the first one to get a crack at his skull? This is what we're going to do. We're going to see Jesus make this, this big point tonight. He's going to kind of give a revision of what Tozer said, kind of his own version, I think, is what the text is saying, and this is what it is. The big idea, what you believe about Jesus is actually the most important thing of your life. We want to have a high view of God, yes, just like Tozer was saying, but I think what we see in this text is that what we actually believe about Jesus is, in fact, the most important thing in your life. And as the, as the text breaks down, we're going to see these kind of three ways it breaks down. The, the truth about what was at stake, the truth about those people that were there, and the truth about who Jesus is. So we're going to jump right into the truth about what was at stake in this conversation, guys. Verse 31 and 32, look back at that with me. It'll be on the screen. It says, then Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yay, good. This is going to be a killer sermon from Jesus. It is incredibly happy. Like, if you keep obeying, if you're abiding or like sitting in my word, like hanging on every word that Jesus says and taking it seriously, like maybe hearing his commands and, and doing them, having the words of God just sit with you all day to where you actually start believing them and doing them, if you keep on that straight and narrow path, if you keep in that path of obedience, what? You're going to be what? You're going to be free. 
The truth will set you free. And you can almost imagine like, the crowd just getting ready to stand up and just get really pumped. Like, yes, set us free. Let's go. More good preaching from Jesus. But how do they actually respond? Did, did you hear it when you read? The way they actually responded was, uh, hold up, man. Excuse me. We don't need that. In fact, the reason they say they don't need it is why? We're already free. Why would Jesus preach to us about freedom. How could he ever say that we need some sort of freeing right now? Actually, how they respond is like, no, man, we're good. We don't need freed. We, if you didn't know, are actually God's chosen people. We actually, the Israelites, are God's special anointed, that he is going to change the entire world. He is actually going to bless us so that his name will be a blessing over the face of the earth. But if you've ever read the Old Testament or much of the Bible, you kind of know this. Um, maybe like an alarm's going off your head. Wait, the Jews were not always free. How can they say they've never been slaves when, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, that epic cartoon that I grew up on. Okay, a couple. Um... <laughs> Yeah, like, they were slaves for a very long time in Egypt. Not to mention, like, the Babylonians. Not to mention, like, the Roman soldiers probably listening over their shoulders to this conversation right now. Are they delusional? Like, what is going on with these people? They would actually believe that they have never been slaves when, in fact, they have been. What they're doing is they're not even clinging to their social status right now or what has happened in the past. They're clinging to something even greater in their minds. We are what? Children of Abraham. You cannot tell us we are in need of freedom, Jesus. Why? Because we are God's chosen special people. Why? What's a fancier way of saying that in Bible language? We are children of Abraham, the man that God blessed who said a great nation will come to you. That is us, Jesus. Maybe Jesus didn't know who he was actually talking to, they think. And Jesus is saying, I don't care who your daddy is. What I see in your life testifies a completely different story. What I'm looking around and seeing in, you, in the lives of you religious people is not actually freedom, but slavery. And I'm not talking about Roman oppression. I'm not going back to the Exodus where God actually rescued you. I'm talking about something much more serious than that. I'm talking about sin. I don't care if you came from Abraham because in reality, you don't actually act like him. He said they wanted to kill him. Israel, Israel, Jesus is saying, claiming freedom in your forefather Abraham means absolutely nothing. You've missed the point. The name of Abraham was never meant to be your ultimate identity or the freedom that you clung to. Your heritage wasn't, you know, like a get out of jail free card where you could just do whatever you want, ignore God and his commands. You could just ignore holiness and trying to be like your God and actually just go do whatever you want because of your name. No, actually, your whole people were defined not just by the name of Abraham, but the rescue of God from Egypt, right? If you don't know Prince of Egypt, which is sad, you got homework this week, go watch it. But if you don't know that story, as they were slaves, they were helpless. And what God actually does is he rescues them and he empowers them and he gives them a great hope. He takes them out of slavery and brings them into a wonderful land that they would have a great relationship with their God and that they would worship and praise him and never forget him. But here we are. And they're entangled in slavery again, not to the Egyptians, not to the Babylonians, and really not with the Romans, but with something far worse. And the worst part is they have no idea. 
What's at stake here is freedom. And not freedom from labor and whips and slave drivers. No, this is like a freedom from sin. The ultimate slave driver, the evil that clings so close. What sin is, if, if you're making a definition of sin from this passage, you can see that sin is choosing to walk away for your own definition of freedom. Choosing to walk away from whatever God says is freedom and life and thriving and actually walking your own way, making your own definition for what freedom is and walking against God's will. That is the sin which Jesus is describing as slavery. What makes sin so deadly is that it can actually offer you this freedom, the thing that you want in your life so badly. I mean, you guys are 18 to 22. You want freedom. Like no parents, no rules. College is great. You're just going to do whatever you want. You don't have to go to bed. You don't want to... Who cares, man? Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. It's what we love. If you infringe upon our freedom, we get up in arms and we get political all of a sudden and act really smart because we want our freedom. We will fight tooth and nail for that stuff, yeah? But sin is subtle and it gives you the exact words of freedom that you want. Pick up that bottle. Who cares about the law? Who cares about how many you've had? Who cares about who's watching? Drink. Oh, man, don't stop now. You, just, just stay the night. Sleep with them. Sleep with her. Who can tell you how to, to rule your own sexuality? Who can tell you what's right and wrong? Say and act how you want. You are not accountable for anything because you are free. This is the subtle voice of sin clinging to our soul. But Jesus says, no, follow me. Obey my words. Abide in me, and I promise you, you will actually find true freedom. The truth about what is at stake is your freedom. The very definition of who we are and what you believe about Jesus actually determines whether or not you, will, you are actually free. That's what he's saying. That what you believe about Jesus determines whether or not you are truly free. Not in your eyes, but in his eyes. And so I want to dive into who these people are that Jesus is arguing with, kind of. Like, who is he, who is he saying? Because he has, like, some cryptic hints, right? If you, if you heard what the Coles were reading, they're like, Jesus keeps referencing their father. And he's like, Abraham's not your father. You got a different dad. Like, you actually come from a completely different heritage, and they want to talk about fathers. They want to keep bringing that up. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to go there. You won't like this, but I'm going to go there. And in your sin, you actually have a way more true Father, and this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 44. This is the truth about what these people were. You, actually, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. This is as offensive as it gets. Can you imagine coming here? It's like, hey, where are you from? Oh, cool. I'm from this place. And yeah, this is my last name. And I'm really proud because my dad owns like a really cool business and I have a great inheritance coming to me and I'm really proud to be me. And then somebody goes, oh, I don't care about your dad because your dad's the devil. How in the world would you respond to that? It is incredibly unfriendly. It's incredibly awkward. And nobody wants to hear that tonight. But Jesus is not holding anything back. No punches held tonight, guys. He's going for it. He's just saying straight up, you know what? You're bragging about Abraham, and that's really not a good idea, but I'm just going to take you one step further and say he's not even your real dad. And they're like, what do you mean? We were not born out of sexual immorality. And you know how Cole read so well. Uh, it's like, no, I know. But actually, the way you live 
actually testifies to what you believe in. And who you actually believe actually testifies who you identify with, who your father is. And that's not Abraham. Because Abraham actually obeyed the words of God. And you and all of your religious masking over, all of your lip service to God Almighty have fooled yourself. Your father is actually the devil. You actually do not live to please your God. You actually are living to please Satan. That's a terrifying thing for them to hear. Okay. Look at this picture. You guys know who this is? This is this LeBron James, right? Okay. It's a great picture. He's so big, he doesn't even fit on the screen. Those are his sons, okay? I just got invited to a, a game in Minneapolis. Uh, I, my, my buddy... Who, he, he's like, hey, you want to come watch Bronny James play in Minneapolis? I'm like, heck yeah, sweet, a Lakers game. But what he meant was he wanted, he wanted to go watch his son, the one on the left, Bronny, LeBron Jr. Terrible name. A uh, lot of pressure. Best basketball player in the world, right, maybe. And it's like, yeah, live up to that. Okay, anyway, I'm going to go watch him play. And so I was thinking about him. Um, those boys are going to be freaks of nature as they take after their father. No, they could never pick up a basketball in their life. Like, let's just say that kid has never touched a and he played anybody in here, he would beat you because of who his dad is, how he identifies with his father. We'll take him a very long way. LeBron's kids were bred for greatness. That wasn't a joke at all. Like, it's the truth. Like, like this is just like DNA 101, okay? Now, let's say this. Let's say I go up to that, I go up to that game, all right, and they're getting in the family car after the game, and LeBron's like, hey, great job, Junior. Like, you killed it. And they have a great time. And they look in the back seat, and I'm back there. It's like, whoa! Like, yeah. Right. That wasn't the punchline. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. I don't have a broken hand. All right. Okay. <laughs> Dang it, that didn't land either. Um, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this is if you take me to the court, if we have a little father-son basketball game and you want to see what the James boys got and they pass me the ball, I, am compl- I can run up the floor up and down a little bit, but I am useless outside of 15 feet. I cannot shoot to save my life. I can, I can touch the net, but I cannot throw down like the rest of my family. Um, how long would it take for you to realize that this was not my real dad? Oh, man. <laughs> I like the way that was worded. Uh, what? Um, it wouldn't take you very long. And in a roundabout way, this is exactly what Jesus is saying, how obvious it is of the point he's trying to make tonight. Take this down. <laughs> that was a mistake. Jesus' point is just as obvious tonight. In the same way of, yeah, I can tell really quickly that one is not like the others. Why? Because I have literally nothing in common with LeBron James. There's no way he could be my father or my forefather. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, you say Abraham is your dad. You say that that's like your family line, and it might be in your blood. But I want to go one step further than your blood. I want to go to the very thing that pumps your blood, the very thing that's keeping I want to go to your heart. I want to go to your belief. Because what I'm seeing on the court or what I'm seeing in the church, what I'm seeing in real life, 
you're actually proving that your father's not Abraham. Your father is not God. Your father is actually the devil himself. Because you know the words of God. If you've been coming to Saul, you know the words of God. You know the obedience that Jesus is calling you to. You know what it's like to walk in holiness because you are challenged every single week to do so. But God is saying tonight, Jesus is saying to these people, does your life actually show it? Because your, what your life is showing isn't just like an accident. It's actually what you believe in your very heart and soul. Like what you actually believe is going to overflow into what you actually do. And it's actually going to prove in the deepest way possible who you actually are. The truth about this, these people is that they were not obedient to Christ or to their God whatsoever. They hated what he said. They couldn't handle the truth. They despised him for us. What you believe about Jesus ultimately determines who you actually are. And Salt Company, I, I don't need to stop on this long, but is this us? What does it look like for you to be here on a Thursday night? Is it to just climb the ladder of impressiveness? Like, like you say with your mouth that you believe Jesus, so did they as they leaned down to pick up stones to kill him. Like, like, what does our life, what does my life out there say about what we talk about and who we sing about in here? Like, if Jesus were actually to show up, would it terrify you or to make you weep with joy? We need to keep this in mind. But why? Why is what you believe about Jesus ultimately determining who we are in our truest sense? Who is he to say these things? That's what these people are asking. Who in the world are you, Jesus to say these things, to call our dad the devil, to like actually tell us to obey what you say and then we'll find freedom, us who have always been free? Who is this that says we should listen and hang on every one of his words? This is our final point. We're going to talk about the truth about who Jesus is. The last line he says in verse 58, guys, check this out. Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There's a reason we started with this text tonight in this I am series. That Jesus isn't saying, I am the this, or I'm the that, I'm the that, that. No, he's actually just saying, I am. And it's going to frame in every single thing we see from here on out. And if we're fortunate tonight, if God is so good to us, this will actually change every single thing that we see in life. The way we view our God and the way we view Jesus tonight. Here, we're reaching the head of all the tension, right? As, as Jesus could not offend them anymore, we're at the tip of the sphere. Right before these the, who, quote, unquote, believed in him, we're going to pick up rocks and try and kill him. Here, we find out why Jesus can make such audacious, powerful claims. This is the moment that makes tonight's big idea true. One of the most controversial sayings ever on the face of the earth. Why? Well, back to Prince of Egypt again. Third time's the charm. The burning bush. If you don't know the story, Moses, this man is wandering around and he hears his name called from over here. And he looks and he sees a burning bush. 
It's not being burnt up. It's just this bush that's on fire in the middle of the wilderness. And then the voice is coming from it. And it's saying, Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're on is holy ground. What was going on is he's actually approaching like the presence of God in this shrub. He's like, get on your face and worship because you are not worthy to come one step closer to me. And Moses is obviously terrified. And what God has to say to him is, Moses, I'm about to send you on an incredible mission in my name with my power, and you are going to rescue my people from their slavery. And it's going to be awesome, and they're going to make cartoons about you 2,000 years later. And, and Moses is saying, okay, Lord, but who do I say sent me? Like, what's your name? And this is the name that God says. I am. Tell them. Tell the people who, my people who I love and I want to free from this, tell them, I am sent them. I am who I am. Do you see what's going on here? Just on, just on a surface level, like starting up here, do you see what's going on here? Jesus is not telling them to do a better job of following the rules and be more religious. He's not telling them to be more godly necessarily by just obeying coldly. He's actually telling them that he is their God, Period. Not talking about God in the third person of he is, he is. But actually taking the sacred name of God that they were terrified to even have utter under their lips. The, the, YH, the YHWH, like that we kind of feel in as Yahweh. Like, like one of my Jewish professors would even just say, right? it's, like, it's just like breath. It's just like these noises. But they were terrified to say it lest they blaspheme the holiness of God and be struck dead. And here Jesus is. A man who is offending them. A man who is making audacious claims. And he's not talking about he is God anymore. He says, I am. It is not a petty little title. It's not just something that sounds really cute and looks good on a screen. This is how David Livingston defined God saying these two profound words. I, God, define myself. I am. I am absolute existence. I have no beginning or end. I do not change. I do not waver. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the very nature of the God who we are in the presence of right now. This is the very nature of the man wrapped in humble human flesh talking to these crowds, and they are blind to see it, and they hate him for what he says. This is a God who simply exists, who has always existed, and will always exist. He is completely sufficient and full of power and needs absolutely nothing, including me and you, to completely sustain himself. He is changeless. He is immutable. And therefore, we can trust the granite foundation of his faithfulness in every single circumstance, even up to death in this life. He is the God who demands that we conform to him, like kids conforming to their parents, not the other way around, that he would conform to us in our every changing desire. This is the God who never gets tired, whose power will radiate and heat like the sun for all of our lives in eternity. This is the God who is in himself existence, where nothing exists outside of his will, where he looks at the entire cosmos and says, mine. He is perfect, and he is standing right in front of these people, making himself known. He is standing right in front of you tonight, making himself fully known. And this is the greatest blasphemy these people could ever hear, they thought. 
Nothing is more offensive and worse to say. He is making himself one with God. Yet here is the God of ages, the Almighty, wrapped in this humble human flesh again. And these people, like many of us, would not have it. They could believe cognitively, but nothing would hit their heart. They could say, we like what you've done. We like the crowds like this. We like the show. We like all the fun stuff, but we will not stop and change our way and obey you. No, we don't believe you are who you say you are. Instead of walking in his words and freedom, they would walk in sin as slaves to death. Instead of falling before the consuming fire of God, they would mock him and ultimately hang him and kill him. Here is Jesus, God in the flesh, ready to die for treason and not for the treason that came from his mouth because it wasn't treason, it was true. The treason from us and our treason against this king of kings. The God who lived forever would actually taste death for three full days in its fullness. The God of power struggling to carry his massive cross up the hill of shame actually was so weak that he needed somebody to help him carry it. The changeless God of faithfulness, torn up so badly, beaten and bruised so brutally that you could not even recognize him. The God who all should conform to, conformed to be like us. Why? Because even though these people were choosing to define themselves not by God's rescue, they, right, they didn't look to God saving them. They actually looked to their own goodness. They, they stopped looking to God and his rescue and his love and his mercy and his grace to define them. But now we can. Jesus, the name that means God saves, the God who never tires, couldn't actually stay dead. He was too powerful. He was too good. And he is alive and he is here tonight. And he is gently and powerfully demanding you not to lip service any more salt, but a full surrender to him. He's here not to bind you to service and to put chains on you, but actually to release you from the chains of sin and death which you cannot remove on your own. Friends, what you believe about Jesus actually determines one day how you will stand before our God. What we do about this is so simple. Like Moses before that burning bush, we have got to just fall on our faces and worship. We have got to confess our small view of who Jesus actually is. We have to repent, literally turn away from walking this way. And as we hear his words tonight, guys, we just let go and we turn away. That's repentance. We turn back towards him and we furiously and communally obey and submit to the king of the universe. And in that, guys, there is so much freedom. There is so much joy as we throw off our sin and we delight in Jesus. Let's pray. God, you just revealed a lot of stuff about me that I do not like. Reading this passage, passage makes me sick because... I, I don't want to admit what I'm actually like behind closed doors. I don't want people to know the cinema. I don't want, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be defined by my lowest moments, God. But what's so amazing about this is that the God that is perfectly holy, perfectly good, and just, just never, and just so powerful, he actually became so humble that he would meet me and meet everybody here at their lowest moment. And say, this is not what has to define you anymore. But actually, if you believe, you simply believe, not just with your, your head and your mouth, but actually you let this truth of love sink deeply into your soul, you will be saved. 
And as you approach this holy fire of God, it'll be not like that Exodus mountain of 19 where we, we tremble with fear and we just shake before our God knowing that we should just be fried up and dead. No, but we will actually approach the holy mountain of God in heaven, the Mount Zion, the dwelling place of God and man, that we will actually approach that with confidence and joy that God, the consuming fire, would rid us of our chains and our sins forever and that the fight that we know we are in right now is not in vain. That you have promised us freedom, God, and we believe that is coming. We believe that there is freedom from sin and change right now. As we throw our hands up in the air, let it symbolically show that we are people who are running out of our prison cells. God, we pray for this, this series, the I Am series, that you would just keep revealing yourself in your fullness to us. It's all we need. Thank you, God.